Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers, Bob Quek, Jen Pixel Skagney, and Panic Productions. Today you have me, Jared, along with Chuck and John, and we're going to talk about our best and worst RPG moments, and how we might have avoided those worst moments. But before we dive into the main topic, our get-to-know-a-gnome question is going to be that same topic, but about our player situations. So, Chuck, would you like to uh, tell me what your best and worst moment in a game as a player has been? So, my my best moment as a player was actually at Gen Con a few years ago. There was an artist, graphic designer, and uh, I've forgotten his name, and I feel like a jerk for that because he was incredible. And he just decided to just pour his craft into this game. And it was sort of superstars of the 1970s, Evil Knievel, the Duke boys, uh, fighting werewolves. And he had <laughs> these just elaborate set pieces and beautifully painted miniatures that just painted the whole scene so vividly and in like instantly. This guy was just fantastic. And it really ignited this kind of passion that I now have for miniatures and immersions in that sense. And that was Hands down, one of the best gaming experiences I have ever had. That is great. Hey, John, what about you? Okay, so I'll talk about one of my worst moments as a player. Um, so I, I had a DM who was very, uh, very, very old school antagonistic DM. It was a second edition game, and we we had this moment where we were out, we were doing the wilderness thing, we were traveling to like the Lost Temple. And an alligator attacked us, and we killed it. So my character, being kind of a crafty, bard-like character, even though he was like a sorcerer, was like, oh, I'm going to tan these so we can make leather or sell them. You know, like, let's make some leather armor. And he put every reason why it wouldn't work, like, so much so that the next game, I came with a, like printed off of uh, the proto-internet at that time. Like, here is exactly how you would tan leather. Here's how you could do this in the wild. Here's the process <laughs> wow. that can happen. Like, like I get it. He wanted that play experience of you have to work for it. Only he didn't want that play experience because we set this stuff all up. We went into the, the temple, did our thing, and we came back out. Something must have eaten and taken them away. Like, you know, where, where they were left in this, like, swamp, you know, in a bag, tied down with ropes. It's all gone. And it's like, you know, you... Okay, may, maybe, maybe you rolled on a table. And maybe that's like, oh, well, we're, we're, we're playing it by the dice. But it's... You just wanted to say no to something the player had because it, it didn't fit the railroad you were on. So that, that would probably be my worst moment there as a, uh, you know, as a player. What about you, Jared? What What is your best and or worst moment? I think probably my best moment as a player, this is always subjective because, you know, you can sit there and go, well, I forgot about that thing 10 years ago. But <laughs> I think what really stands out in my mind recently is last year when I was at QCC playing in uh, Jen's Ever the Towering Mountain uh, playtest that she ran. And the player, I was playing the, the young, uh, newly married minor, and I had black lung. And the town is getting overrun by federal agents and there's just like open warfare and I'm trying to get my wife out of town so that she doesn't have to live through this hell. And I'm dying of black lung and I profess my love for her and everything. And I literally started crying. It was, Aww. this was like the best, most 
you know, intense experience that I've had. And before that, even there was another moment where we were all role playing that we were in church for Christmas Eve. And the player that was playing my wife and myself were like making fun of other townsfolk the way people do when they huddle together and make fun of other people in a small town in church during a church service. And it just, that was, that was just amazing. <laughs> and then probably my worst moment was, um, I had a DM that also was very fond of his meticulously created story. And the rest of us were there to uh, watch his genius. And <laughs> my fighter had gone at least five or six sessions at this point with no armor or weapons. We ran into a vampire, finally, and my entire purpose was to have hit points so that the spellcasters could do something to this vampire because I had no weapons. We managed to get back to town, and he informed me that we got back to town one day too late to remove my negative levels. Ah! So I was a fighter with no armor, <sighs> no weapons, and two levels behind everyone else in the party at this point. <laughs> Man! It that entire campaign was rough, and it is one of those experiences where it's like, why did I keep playing this game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, so. boy, I, <laughs> I I have to wonder if there's maybe a whole other podcast in how you can make that kind of antagonistic, randomization-driven <laughs> role playing not horrible because that can be fun. But what both of you just described is not how you do that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, and, and it comes down to the, you know, sort of idea of like, yeah, that there is, like you say, a, a fun gameplay loop in that mm -hmm. just who, whoever happens to be running the game at the time, they are taking it to a place where it is not about, yeah, you died because this was rough circumstances, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like, I, I always hear about the grinder in like, uh, what is it? DCC or like the, the old school. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the funnel. <laughs> that character died on, oh yeah. The funnel, that character died onto the next one. That character died mm -hmm. onto the next one. That, like, at that point, I'm like, yeah, I'm buying into this being sucky. But there is also still an out in order mm -hmm. to ha have a better experience with mm -hmm. the next one. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've run several um, several funnels for DCC, and those have felt much more fair than some of the uh, games <laughs> that I was in. Yeah. So do we want to examine the same kind of topic from the GM's point of view? Sounds like a, a good idea. Maybe not the yeah. best idea, not the worst idea, but a good idea. <laughs> well then, John, why don't you lead us off with this? Uh, I did volunteer myself for that with my snark, <laughs> didn't I? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, okay, well, well, let's keep on with the uh, the kind of best and worst moments, you know, um, as a GM. I, I, I would have to say my best moment, my very best moment, because it, it sets so many other... Uh, uh, kind of like things in motion for me as a GM was when the players did something so completely off the, the rails and they decided we're going to go completely the wrong way. And I said, yes, that is exactly what happened. Congratulations on figuring it out. And I just ran with it. And, and I'm going to say that was my best moment. <laughs> and I don't remember it. Like I, I remember, <laughs> no, but like, I, I remember the after, like, like I was just so like in the zone and like, go, go, go. Okay. What do I do? I have, I just have to run with this. I have to go on the fly. I have to figure everything out from here. You know? And it was so much adrenaline. I remember it, it was in, um, 
in the game that I was running f- uh, when I took over from uh, the the GM who did the 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 bad you know uh, <laughs> situations. We all kind of left that game and reformed a group without them. The the you know four months later, um, <laughs> and I was running it, and so it was an early D and D second edition game, and I don't even remember, and that was years and years ago. But I remember the feeling of that moment because it led to so many other like. I can totally make this up and they will never know. And they had a whole lot more fun even without like, you know, having what what I felt at the time in my very, you know, young month old jamming career was a, oh, you have to have this structure and these things and it has to be written down and you have to have planned it. It it was the moment that my brain just went, no, you don't have to have that. <laughs> so can I ask a question for everybody on here? Do you think it's important to maintain the illusion that you have planned that? We're just giving away all the secrets here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think from from my point of view, I almost think that it is in the moment, but not eternally. Like the minute the session is over yep, and everyone has already had that emotional moment, I think it's perfectly fine to admit it. But I think sometimes in the moment, you don't want to interrupt the moment and say, hey, guys, I had no idea what was about what was just mm-hmm. going on there. Because I think that almost ruins the moment. It's almost like if you watch like a documentary on how special effects are done in a movie, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to see that in the movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it doesn't ruin anything for you if you see it after you've already experienced the movie as a whole thing. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's CGI. You know Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and Megatron are not really there, and you Say know they're all, so. and you know they're all being played by Andy Serkis because he's the only motion actor there is. But you don't want to think about that in the movie, right. yeah? No, I, I would totally agree because mm-hmm. I, I, I think you know that there has to be some cohesion to the world, and the players yep. have to believe they're interacting with the world, yes. even if later on they're like. Oh, yeah, I, I see. You totally just just made that all up. But, you know, it has to at least be logical or, you know, feel mm-hmm. realistic or or almost have that to go back to the antagonistic, you know, GM sort of thing. Feel like they won against something. And if, mm-hmm. if you're not an antagonistic GM and they're not winning against you, they have to win against the situation that got brewed up in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big person for hiding things from people. I just think that bringing things up at the wrong time can just trip up the whole feeling that you get in a certain moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chuck, what about you? <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm going to start with the best gaming moment. Uh, and it's the best gaming moment that I can think of right now. So fairly recently we had a bespoke artisanal convention and I ran a game. Was uh, this AngeCon? No, no, this was very, very small. Like we just rented a house and and went and did it. It's nothing, nothing, nothing so fancy as to have the word a con appended to it. Uh, But um, so I ran this just goofy little semi dungeon crawl for fifth edition called Hunt for Jolene. And the whole idea, if you've heard like the Eldritch Jolene (laughs) meme. So it was just a, a whole crew of adventurers that Jolene was going to take their man and we we just couldn't have that. And so I decided Jolene was a, a young green dragon. And I vague nods toward game balance, but not really. It was an excuse to play with toys and and puns. Uh, Cotton Eyed Joe was was one of the one of the people that appeared. And so because I was just pulling in all of these toys and references, and I really wasn't paying attention to balance or or anything. Jolene almost one-shotted the whole party, but then one of my uh, party members noticed that magical items that I had given them 
came together in ways that I was completely not expecting. And then they proceeded to one-shot Jolene with the, the very next round. And I, I think that, and that, that was like a couple of months ago that this took place. And I think that that's important because rather than trying to look for excuses of why that didn't work, I sort of acknowledged my players did something cool and fun. And yes, the ga- it made the game a little bit shorter. There were high fives around that table afterwards. <laughs> and it was, it was just utterly fantastic. And do I wish it could have lasted longer? Sure. But it was clever and it was fun and everybody just had a blast because we let the the game go where it was going. Yeah. What what about <laughs> you, Jared? So so what what was your before we get into the worsts of stuff, what was your best <laughs> GMing? I think for my best moment, at least again, I'm doing the short term memory because I'm old and I have way too many years of all this stuff. So I'm thinking back to my seventh C game and for one thing, that game worked so much better for actually having players with romances in it, which mm-hmm. I have never had really work very well in campaigns before. And we had a thief from Montaigne that was in love with a monster hunter from Ison, and she got turned into a vampire, and he found out that he could transfer her curse to someone else. And the Emperor of Montaigne was willing to become a vampire because, of course, he is the wisest person to ever sit on the throne of Montaigne and he can just sit there forever if he's a vampire. And our thief, after having this audience with the Emperor of Montaigne, was like, I can't let this madman have this power. And it was gut-wrenching for him because he ended up realizing, I can't be happy and let this person you know, live on forever and keep doing what he's doing to this country. And he ended up uh, having this, you know, heartfelt talk with uh, with his monster hunter love interest, and he ended up killing them. And just... Wow. And it was, it was a very powerful ending to that campaign. And yeah. I feel like I'm the one having all the heavy moments here, and that's weird for me, because I don't <laughs> usually have that many heavy moments here. <laughs> But I mean, that was just it was a it was a great wrap up to that campaign because there was so much emotional weight to that moment. Well, and and that, you know, I I think that's what makes best moments is it matters. Like Chuck was saying, you know, there were like high fives, you know, everybody was happy, you know, with their one shot. It was this same sort of thing, this feeling that this mattered. They were very into it. Even if it wasn't into the story, it was into the kind of mechanical aspects of it a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was still a very emotionally charged, you know, scenario and a positively emotionally charged, even if it was like, you know, negative circumstances. It's like, wow, that was a great story, but I actually got to live that and then back away from it because I didn't have mm-hmm. to do that in real life. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, now that we're all positively emotionally charged, let's <laughs> delve into the deepest, darkest, worst moments we've ever had. Okay, maybe not our worst moments, but Chuck, do you have a bad GMing moment that you would like to recount for us here? Who boy do I? Okay, so uh, let's first bring of all, the room down. Yeah, well, it's, it's not bringing the room down. This is just a, a, a cluster of a situation. Uh, so first of all, for those of you playing Chuck Bingo at home, this was during a Blue Rose game. So I, I have to mention Blue Rose like every single I, I heart that game so hard anyway. Uh, but in this particular case, uh, we had been running for a few months and I have this nasty habit of when somebody says, oh, I want to play a game. We find a place for them at the table. And then that just kept kind of like snowballing. And eventually we had 12 people around the table at this point. <laughs> oh. um, and oh. one of my players very, very generously agreed to be a co-GM for it. 
which was wonderful and he's really, really great. But in this particular session, we decided to split it into to two, two separate games almost on two separate floors. And in each of those floors, there was a different sub game going on. And I got very, very arrogant with this and I started throwing in almost mini games for it. So uh, the upstairs folks were arguing in a courthouse type situation that someone who broke the law did not need the punishment that they were getting and to allow them to go back to Aldis because they, they needed to have their, their diplomatic immunity restored. And I had a whole sub game based on a debate sub game that existed in another game. And I thought that I could sort of repurpose the mechanics without really playtesting it at all. Spoiler alert, you can't do that. Uh, and then downstairs, I had similarly kind of pursuit mechanics that I had pulled from a number of other places where they were like sort of chasing down, for lack of a better word, the person who really committed the crime. And I also didn't playtest that. So I had a total of 12 different players playtesting completely wildly ineffective sub games with a GM who, who asked for none of this upstairs running a debate <laughs> sub game that I think someone ended up making an aristocrats reference halfway through. And that was the best <laughs> thing you could have done with that whole situation. And afterwards, everybody sort of sat around and said, okay, let's never do that again. And that wow. was, I believe our second to last session of that particular blue rose game. And it makes me very, very sad because we were going places with that. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was the absolute worst. Wow. To, to, to just, Pin, if you don't know the aristocrats and uh, uh, content warning on all a, oh, anything horrible, oh, it, it's an yeah. old joke. Uh, uh, you can look it up, but I would not. It would be a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but if you do look up the uh, uh, Helsing abridged version of it, because that one's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but the whole thing is like somebody starts and they tell the most horrible, worst, most offensive to anybody's senses things they can do, you know, about this group and then they end it with the aristocrats yes like, i believe that was actually the closing argument in the case if i remember <laughs> properly <laughs> Ooh, wow yeah <laughs> oh goodness so so what made that the worst then like you know because because you brought up a couple of points like you know you said a little arrogance which which i grabbed on because i think that caused my worst jamming moment but like <laughs> you know what was it throwing other people into situations they didn't want was it you know making it too complex so I think there were, there were really a couple of things that really made that the worst. The first and most important is people weren't having fun. It's a fun story to talk about afterwards, but in the moment, it was a grind. From beginning to end, the, the pursuit wasn't the fun that it should have been. The dance fight with zombies at the end wasn't what it should have been. <laughs> uh, nobody was enjoying themselves, and that's, that's the biggest problem. Part of that was because the rules did not lend themselves to people sort of participating in the game in the way that I wanted, which I would have caught with better playtesting. But also there was just too much. Because there were 12 people, there is no way for 12 people to meaningfully operate in the same game world that is being <laughs> mediated by the brains of one to two people, no matter how much they prepare. <laughs> so I, I think those were the, the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and that's interesting because one thing that I th could be a whole nother podcast topic, but uh, uh, the Avengers syndrome, um, mm -hmm. you know, the only reason the Avengers movie worked is because most of the time it was split off into groups of three to four, four to five. Yep. Here's the next three to four. And then when it came back into the final, everybody's there. 
it was just straight up combat, 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 action, mm-hmm. action, 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 moment, 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 without mm-hmm. a lot of like, it, it was a denouement, the climax rather than the lead up. And mm-hmm. that's just so hard to do with, with yep. a lot of people in a game. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, John, what was your worst gaming experience, and how did arrogance play in? <laughs> well, so, so I'm, I'm going to say this was v- very early in my GMing career in that same game where my best one was. So, you know, mm-hmm. this, this moment came first before, you know, before I kind of started to, to click all the gears. But I was, you know, running 2E, and one of the players cast uh, a Detect Thought spell. And I go, okay how do I do that? And I looked at the book and the book said something along the lines of like, you know, describe whatever the surface thoughts are. And because I wasn't expecting this and because I'm like, oh yeah, I know what's going on here. I'm just going to do this. And ra- so rather than let people say what thoughts were in their head that could be detected, because I was also trying to keep it secret, you know, so that the person, you know, their anonymity was preserved. I didn't do that well. But I went around and, like, described what thoughts were in each, you know, each character's heads, which, you know, all right, so let's let's have a lesson on consent there. Like, you know, just assuming you know what is in the character's heads, even though you know the characters, you know what they're likely thinking Mm -hmm. about. You know, it it made it afterwards, after it was revealed and, you know, something happened and, and the player who cast it. He's just like, you know, just 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 say it out loud because, you know, I, I don't care if they know I'm casting this spell. OK, cool. That made it easier. But then I did that and people were like they, they I, w- I was too young and too dumb to realize, you know, the looks on their faces were like, why'd you just do that? What what are you doing? You know, and I just kind of went on with the game. And then I had two players afterwards tell me, like, I didn't like that at all. That wasn't what you know, it was very minor <laughs> stakes for what it was, but it it, mm-hmm. it was very like. Yeah, all right. I'm like maybe a month into my GMing career, but I've already kind of screwed this up and made the players have a very not fun experience. And that all mm-hmm. came to the arrogance of me thinking I knew everything. Like I was thinking mm-hmm. of the GM as the most important person to the mm-hmm. game. You know, I'm mm-hmm. the one who makes all this happen. I, I would say what their thoughts are. <laughs> That's... And and I that was one of those moments, like, thank goodness I had that that moment early. It wasn't worse, you know. But it was like, oh, this is the player's game, not my game. I have to let them, even if it breaks the verisimilitude of somebody's reading their thoughts and they don't know it, you know, I have to say, yeah, we're going to ditch that aspect of the game for this one, which is more fun. And I'm going to, and, and I also, there was probably a little like lack of trust there. Cause you know, mm-hmm. we just come off of a very antagonistic DM and you know, it, it was like, it, it was just all sorts of weird stuff. But like, I had to trust the players a little more than I did to not kind of cheat and only say innocuous things that might've been in their heads, which they might've done because you know, people like, Oh no, I don't want that revealed. I don't want it revealed. I'm doing this secret plan. But all right, if if that's the case, like that, that is the smaller sin to take rather than the like, I'm just going to say what everybody thinks and then make them feel really bad because then they're like, well, I guess I should act on that since that's what got brought into the game world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Jared, you tell us your shame. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's the chronicle of my shame laid bare before you. Um, so Jared's um, going to be like, I fudge dice rolls. I mean, you guys are horrible. <laughs> oh, 
That's, I, you know, I would actually you? argue that fudging dice rolls is a worse sin than anything that we've described. <laughs> I have I have opinions about that, and I'm not going to subject you to them, but I have them. Put, put that in the podcast notes. Future show. This is just a podcast incubator for like, ah, oh, what do we need for future topics? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm sorry. Please, so, Jared. <laughs> that's all right. So um, I think... Probably, definitely one of my worst moments from the GM side of things is I inherited a Star Wars game. And part of when I inherited this group, I there was already a pre-established situation where one of the players was an Imperial double agent in this rebel cell. <sighs> I was smart enough to realize this could potentially be a problem. Mm-hmm. Not smart enough to get over the entire problem, as we will see. But I sat him down and I said, okay, I'm inheriting this game. I don't want to tell people to make new characters. But what I'm going to tell you is where you're assigned now, there is an ISB agent that's your handler. And they have contacted you. They don't like the Imperial governor. So you can work with this rebel cell to make that governor look bad. And then by the time that governor looks bad and they get deposed will be kind of at the end of the campaign and you can do your reveal, aha, I was really an Imperial agent because I felt like if that happens at the climax of the campaign, that's mm-hmm. not nearly as bad as if it's going on through the entire campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you so repair thinking, that after after they do their reveal? Exactly. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, everything's fine. He's just going to work with the group and then there'll be that that gut punch towards the end of the campaign and this will be this will be fine. I didn't plan it this way, but this will be fine. And the group ended up getting detained by Imperials. And they had talked their way out of being in trouble. They were in the free and clear. And the Imperial double agent decided to suggest to one of the stormtroopers that the Twi'lek was being insolent and they probably needed to be punished. So the Twi'lek is then punished by the Imperials, even though they had already talked their way out of problems. After this whole scene plays out, there are multiple people at the table that are just livid with him. Like, several of them are sure that he's probably a double agent. Mm -hmm. They're mad out of game, too, because they actually talked their way out of this situation, and he basically scuttled the whole thing. They didn't even see why, if he was a double agent, he would have done this thing in the first place. And at that point, everyone was so upset that I just said, I'm calling it. I can't keep running this game this way. I mm-hmm. I don't see this going in a good trajectory. And that was probably the worst feeling about that because it kind of ended on this note where there's people upset with each other out of game. And, you know, I let it get out of control because I thought I could manage this. And I definitely didn't manage it because... He obviously was wanted to actively be a double agent. He didn't want to have that out where mm-hmm. he didn't have to be a double agent until the end. And, oh, that just was not... It was a very uncomfortable wrap-up to that campaign. So mm-hmm. if, if to, to get to the kind of the second part, you know, how could we have avoided these worst moments? If you could go back in time and, and tell previous Jared how to have handled that, what would you have done? Oh, I mean, ever since then, that was a huge learning moment for me because from that point on, I am not a fan of there being secrets between players. Mm-hmm. I am fine with there being secrets between characters. Mm-hmm. But I honestly think at this point, 
you know, I try and tell everyone, especially when I have a session zero and I'm handing out safety tools and everything else, I'm saying we should be adult enough that we're playing our characters and we're having fun with this. So if somebody wants to have this deep, dark secret, tell everyone at the table so everyone can play into it. And this isn't something where the player is bringing it on players. It's the characters bringing it on characters. And that way it is something that everyone has bought into. Everyone can opt into it. It's not a really nasty surprise for anyone. A hundred percent on, on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So John, I know you were just a wee young tyke at the time that, uh, <laughs> that happens, but what would you tell young John about that situation? Um, I, there are many other things I would tell young John, including winning lottery <laughs> numbers if I could find them. But <laughs> if I'm, if I'm limited, if Watu the Watcher only lets me tell this one thing, then I, I would say like, look, the rules don't matter. Beating the game world doesn't matter as much as whatever is currently happening in that microcosm right there and right then. Like, mm-hmm. people will forget if it was handled poorly, if, if you know, if they mechanically didn't work out. Like, you know, they, they will forget a lot of your, your kind of, you know, flaws in doing this if they're having fun and they feel they're in control. Because honestly, the, you know... I've said this in so many forums, this is not a medium where it is consumed by somebody generating it beforehand. It is a medium where it is consumed by the people generating it at the same time. And so you have to think about this like a game of tennis, and you have to do whatever you can to keep the ball moving and to make sure that people feel like they have control of the ball, not that it's moving at, you know, supersonic speeds and they have no chance of hitting it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so, so just like, yeah reveal that the one player is casting detect thoughts like you know say and and honestly this is one of i love the idea of inspiration points because mm-hmm. i can say like i could take that player aside right now and go hey i need to reveal that you're doing this but ev- <laughs> like jared said everybody's an adult we're playing character <laughs> to character not player to player i'll give you mm-hmm. an inspiration point if i can just say it and say everybody say what they're thinking at this time oh yeah and everybody else gets an inspiration point to tell the truth, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Everybody gets bought off, you know? Like, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I, you know, I was secretly an Imperial agent, and now that's, you know, the thought that I was actually having is going to reveal it, but uh, I'll take the inspiration point to deal with that, you know? Like, there are tools now that kind of help do that, but just at that point in time, my focus was on it has to be this very specific gameplay style and if I don't keep it, you know, so cohesive, so, you know, I, if I don't, one of Robin Law's favorite words, keep the verisimilitude, like, perfect, <laughs> it won't be fun. And and that that is so wrong. And thankfully, I, I ditched that and, and, you know, became a much more collaborative GM. Let's uh, let's bounce the tennis ball to you, Chuck. So what, what would your, uh, <laughs> you know, advice to your past self have been? Uh, so a couple of things. One, uh, 12 people is too many. <laughs> Uh, even even potentially at a game, 12 people is too many. And I have actually since had players come up to me and basically say, like, so this game idea that you have sounds really awesome, but we're stopping at five, right? And so, I, so that's, you know, message very well received. Uh, so so that's the big one. And, and there are ways to do that with a larger gaming crew. You just sort of almost have to do it like a, a sign-up sheet, you know? If you're going to do that sort of episodic thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on ways to do that, but the, the key point is never more than five people at a table. And that, that is something that I've instituted. The other thing is don't try completely new systems without playtesting them, at least a little. 
Uh, and I've kind of already broken that rule a little bit with some sort of dread-based <laughs> mechanics that I've used, but never to that degree since. So... <laughs> Not, not at least in games that you're like, oh, this is my big game. This isn't a, hey, everybody, want to come over for a playtest? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, th that, that, that's really what I took away. <laughs> so, have we solved all of gaming's problems now? You know what? <laughs> I, I'm not even going to talk about that. Gaming has so many problems. And so many, for every great thing, there is a problem in gaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we, we've... Shed light on a few. Although, so I, I do have one question just to extend this over and break my own rule about keeping Gnomecast short. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I feel like most of the issues I've had would have been solved by things that are now in the gaming dialogue, like a session zero, you know, like mm -hmm. safety tools. You know, like if somebody's like, I don't want this revealed X card, they would have been like, here's the thing. Here's why. And I'm like, oh, make a role do you know you like you would have mm -hmm. bring it brought into discussion do you all feel the same way like that like the discussion around gaming now might have solved some of these issues that you've had so my particular problems i i don't think so in this particular case um just because uh, honestly it would have solved those old problems because those tools existed to solve those problems right and every time we solve problems we find new and bigger and more exciting problems <laughs> that in turn need solved. So uh, I, I don't know that they would have helped me, but I greatly look forward to the future gaming tools that prevent GMs from making dumb, arrogant mistakes. And I will definitely be using them in my daily life as well. <laughs> I definitely think that the more I ran games like Fate and Powered by the Apocalypse, where there was a lot of collaborative storytelling and the assumption is that you're guiding people but there's a lot of input you're getting from other people that really helped me to crystallize i mean i had already had that thought like i don't want to do this kind of table secret thing again ever mm -hmm. but that really crystallized this if you get everyone on the same table and and really get them to understand this is our story this isn't one person's story and you're fighting to get your part of it in there but we're all contributing to how the story goes then you can have whatever horrible story you have, and people will probably get into it if you share with them, hey, I'm going to do something really dumb now. Well, why, you know? why do it without an audience? Why do it just for yourself, for you to yeah. be the, like, oh, look, I, and I, I know the player who has done that, and I think the answer is, ooh, but look at how I got over on all of them, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. like, and you should never have been in my game. <laughs> I'm sure there are games for those players. I just don't want to be in any of them. <laughs> that it, it that's like the it's like the riddler mentality from mm -hmm. from batman he's really really invested in proving how smart he is to the point to where he's making up these insane games and riddles that only make sense to him and somehow he feels good about no one else knowing what's in his head because he he's the one coming up with the the clues for them yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. <sighs> all right well i i think i should uh say that we should wrap this up now so we we don't piss off rob too too much <laughs> <laughs> i mean we could always sing to him i'm sure he'd appreciate that we, I, could I, no, the point is not to anger him <laughs> <laughs> well this show is funded by the gnomes do patreon you too can become a patreon backer by following the patreon link on the gnomes do website to the gnomes do patreon this episode brought to you by sticks best of times rpg Keep alive the memory of paradise while trying to convince the world that the party members are the same at the end of the campaign as they were at the beginning of the campaign. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like one of the many other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. 
Bonus experience! Rye and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Chuck, where can people find you online? At InnocuousChuck on Twitter, uh, on those rare occasions that it's not a locked Twitter account. Sorry, everybody, I spend a lot of time on planes. And uh, Jared, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at knighterrant underscore jr, and you can look for my blog at uh, What Do I Know? What? You have another blog? You're cheating on Gnome Stew? Shh, don't tell. Oh, wait, John's here. Wait, no, we all know Angela's the one who wears the pants in, in this, you know, you know, co-head gnome relationship. John, where can people find you? Well, uh, the best places to find me are the ones you would find by Googling John Arcadian, like John Arcadian on Twitter or John Arcadian on Facebook or I don't know other things in social media, I guess. The worst places you could find me are not ones I'm going to reveal because <laughs> I wouldn't want to be found there. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So uh, I feel like this is always kind of loaded whenever John's on the show. But do you think we avoided the stew this week? I hope so. I'm not very well seasoned. Yeah, I'm 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 tired enough. I'm going to say, yeah, I, I don't think I gave my best performance tonight, so I'm not going to ask for the worst outcome. <laughs> so I, I think we just had a volunteer for the stew and, and I'm not too proud to take it. So it's been good knowing you, John. <laughs> I mean, we do have a new co-head. Uh, anyway, <laughs> good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Okay, I have waveforms. I have waveforms. I, I have waveforms, and I hope that was the final countdown. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I, I fear that that might make it onto the outro at that, some point. It probably will. <laughs>